We announced this uh, last Sunday and also announced it on Facebook what we were getting into here today. Uh, how many saw the Facebook post? Anybody go through and watch the movie? The little, little movie clip you put up there? I love that movie clip. I think I'm going to try and put it on my phone and, and watch it every time I go out and run. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one. It's one of my, uh, my favorites. But we wanted to get something else, and we, we kind of had something else in mind when we were going to start this off. We had a little uh, movie clip in mind, but as I was looking them over, because, you know, the, the best workout scenes in the world ever produced for motion picture come from Rocky IV, not Rocky II. But uh, there were some problems with the Rocky IV ones, because they show much, too much of the bad guy. I like the workout scenes with the good guy. Not the bad guy, but um, anyway, so uh, I, I set my, my son on to look for something appropriate for us to, to pull out. So he, uh, he did some work on this, and I asked our guys to get, to get this ready for us, to get us ready for uh, what we're looking in here today. So you guys have it going? All right, go ahead and show it. We talked about this before, that most of the people in the Word of God who were great men of faith, great men that we look to, great women that we look to, really only had one, two, three, four, maybe five days of success in their life. We look to Gideon, who made his way into the faith chapter, and how many successful days did he have? He had one. We look at Adam and Eve, And for all the great things that they did in their life, with the garden, with walking with God, with naming all of the animals, and it's a lot more involved than what it sounds like, they actually categorized them all. What do we know them for? The one day when a challenge came and they were not up to it. Too often, folks, we look at our life And we say, my life has no meaning. And we look at the entirety of our life. And we have looked at our life wrong. We're not looking at it correctly. So we're going to spend, I was thinking one week, but it looks like we're going to be on this for at least two weeks, maybe maybe a little bit more. And we're going to start off with somebody I know you all know very, very well. But I hope we'll, even though you've looked at this story a number of times, I hope that you get to learn something new out of this story here today. And it's the story of Joseph. Because Joseph had some days where he had to be ready. But not all the days that we remember of his life were days that were, were training days. Days that God trained him for. Days that God made him ready for. See, the funny thing is, Adam was trained for that day when Satan would come into the garden and try and tempt him. But he failed. And if you spend some time going through the book of Genesis, you will find out that there were several things that God made available to Adam that he never took advantage of. Not one, several. He never did them. They were open to him. They would have helped him, but he never did them. Last week we were looking at how do we learn, because we we want to make sure we learn, practice, and train, because this is what's getting us ready for what is ahead. This is us getting us ready for that day when God calls upon us and says, I need you to be ready. Of all the days that that team who formed the miracle on ice, of all the games that they played, how many do we remember them for? We don't even remember them for the championship game. We remember them for the one in which they beat the hardest 
team to defeat. The biggest challenge they would face when a bunch of college kids got together and took on the best at that time hockey team in the world and defeated them. If you remember the movie, he gave them a speech and he says, if we play these guys ten times, they may beat us nine. But tonight they don't beat us. We look at our life and we look at all the times that we've let God down. We look at all the times that we've failed. And we think that we have failed Him. But we're not seeing it properly. And this story with Joseph is phenomenal because it will show you the difference between training and game day better than anyone I could find in the Bible. That's why we're starting off with that. But how do we learn? We First off, we'll just review from last week. We learn by hearing the word, reading the word, and studying the word. That's how we learn. We've got to, first of all, learn in order to train. You've got to learn. How do we practice? Well, we do what we learn, and we share what we learn. That's how you practice. You do what you learn. Do it. How do we train? We meditate on the word. We pray the word. We talk the word. That's how you train. Training involves weights. If you watch the, uh, the clip we put up on, on Facebook and you're watching Rocky do all the things to get himself ready, the, the different, the in, incredible types of ab workouts that he did, the push-ups, the uh, pull-ups, all the things. And you notice most of the stuff he did was one-handed. One-handed push-ups and one-handed pull-ups. And the, if you've ever tried them, oh, they are hard. Man, they are hard. And he's over there pumping them out. I mean, how much prep did he have to do for the movie just to be able to pull off those things? That was something else. But he was ready. He got himself ready. But in the battle, in the, in the fight, he didn't do one push-up. He didn't do any sit-ups. He didn't do any pull-ups. All those things were just training to get him ready. And God is doing a whole lot of things with you, training you to get you ready. But if you don't realize it, you won't get trained. We said... Uh, we weaken ourselves by thoughts of worry, prayers that beg, and talking fear and doubt. Those things actually weaken you. They weaken you. I use the experience that, you know, sometimes when we were in cross country, talk among ourselves, read different things. We find out different things that weakened us. And we tried to stay away from those things and not, uh, not take part of that. I didn't mention this before, but one of those things that, uh, this is actually after college, I came into a realization. I don't know if it was right. I don't know if it was wrong. I'm just saying I came into this realization and that, that fat was bad. I don't know that it was, but I eliminated fat from my diet. I mean, I got rid of it. I had so little fat going to my diet that when I finally decided I didn't need to do that anymore, I had a hard time drinking milk without getting an upset stomach because I got rid of all fat. Again, I don't know if it was any good or not. We just uh, we followed this little diet that said, you know, fat was bad, protein is good, carbohydrates are good. So we stayed away from the, that sort of stuff. But what we know from the Word of God is these things will weaken you. If you go around worrying about your problems, you'll be weaker. If you go around praying to God and begging to God, you will get weaker. If you go around talking fear and doubt, you will get weaker. There's no sense in doing all the things you can do to build yourself up if all you're going to do is make yourself weaker. In Genesis chapter 37, chapter, uh, verse 1, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan, 
This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. They could not speak peaceably to him. Now, this isn't in the word, but we can kind of read between the lines. One of the reasons that that Joseph was loved more than all his brothers was he was the only one who had character. He was the only one. The rest of them were, were scoundrels. Some of them worse than others. But they were not the best group of guys. And Joseph set himself apart and didn't fellowship with the 11 because their character was so bad. And it hurt Joseph. So Joseph was generally set apart from them. And his father saw he had a lot of organizational ability. And so he put a lot of the organization into his care. When it has that coat of many colors, it's actually a long sleeve coat he gave him. It was a coat of rulership. He ruled over his brothers. And when he came and gave a bad report, it's because that was his job to say how things were going. And his brothers were scoundrels. How many of you ever worked with somebody who was a scoundrel, tried to get away with as little work as possible, and if you said anything about it, they got mad at you? They didn't get mad at themselves for not working. They got mad at you. Now, Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, and I'm going to read this to you because in the end we're going to show you something about this dream. I don't know if you realized it before. There, were, there we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf rose and stood up. And also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. And his brother said to him, shall, your, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun and moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the things in mind. He has two dreams. These two dreams tell of one future. This dream will not come come about until he is 30 years old. He is now 17. This is 13 years away. Why does God give you a dream about something 13 years in the future? There's a reason for it. Now, he he was given dreams. And he was... Working on the interpretation. He didn't have the interpretation at the time. But how many of y'all know? He went to God and said, God, I want to know what the interpretation of this dream. What does this dream mean? And he began to get involved with dreams. And we see throughout the life of Joseph that he interpreted people's dreams. He became good at dreams. Because God gave him a dream and he became interested in dreams and sought after how to interpret dreams. And didn't this open up a door for him? So working with the dreams, there was a, this is practice, right? He's not called to interpret dreams. Think about the dream that he got. He got a dream. The dream was about him being a ruler, among other things, but it was about him being a ruler. In the dream, was there anything about interpreting dreams? No. But he became one who, who interpreted dreams because he sought after it. And God gave him a dream. He had an interest in dreams. But it's just practice. It's just practice. It, it's not just because he interpreted his dreams. How many of y'all know it's not a big a marked day in his life? It didn't alter his life. didn't change his life. Verse 12, Then his brothers went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if I'll, 
is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out in the valley of the Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him and there he was wandering in the field and the man asked him saying, what are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding the flocks. And the man said, they have departed from here for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now he's managing his father's business. Is Joseph called to manage his father's business? As far as we know, there was no call from God. It was a good thing to do. You know, in the household, you're going to find out something to do. It's something he found to do. But in the end, he is going to, we know the end of the story, he, he manages Egypt. So this is really just getting him ready for what is to come, right? He is, he is managing his father's. Now, his father has a big business, but it's not as big as Egypt. Egypt is bigger. So he, he manages the, the, the father's business. He takes care of what's, what the father has and he does a really good job with it. We find out through his life that whatever he touches, whatever he manages, it just prospers. It just goes through the roof. It does well. But still, all he is doing is practicing. He has not entered into his call just yet, has he? In uh, chapter 39, verse 1, Now Joseph had taken down, was taken down to Egypt. The brothers saw him coming. You know, they made the whole uh, scheme. They threw him into a pit. They were going to kill him. Instead of killing him, they decided to sell him off to uh, slavery, get some money for him. So they sold him off. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. He's a slave. But what's the, what's the word of God call him? A successful man. He was in the house of, the, of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made him made all he did to prosper in his hand. The Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Whatever you put into Joseph's hands, it prospered. And the master saw this. He's not even a believer in God. But he saw that the God that Joseph worshipped, because Joseph didn't stop worshipping his God, the God that he worshipped, whatever you put into his hand, he sought after God. He found out what to do with it and God blessed it. So if you have that, if you have of all the people that are in your house, you've got one person, if you put this in their hand, it prospers, and, and these other people, and nothing happens to it, but this one, it prospers, what are you going to do? You're going to put as much into that one person's hands as you can, because whatever you put in their hands is going to prosper. You're going to put the best stuff that you got in their hands. You're going to put as much as you can underneath them, because whatever you put in their hands is going to prosper. And you're going to do better with it. So that's what he did. The master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, he put under his authority. So he started putting more and more and more until pretty soon Joseph had it all. Everything in the house was under Joseph. Everything in the house. Whatever he had, he put it all under Joseph. Because under Joseph, get this, under Joseph, it did better than under Potiphar. Isn't that amazing? It did better under Joseph than the same things did under Potiphar. So he took everything that he had and he gave it to Joseph. Now, how many, if you're Joseph, how many of you get frustrated making somebody else rich? Would you get frustrated making someone else rich? Man, he's getting rich off of me. He's making me work harder and harder and harder. I don't know if I like this. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake and the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field because it was all under Joseph. So God's going to bless it. 
Then he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except the, for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he's a good looking guy. But this guy got to be so dependent on Joseph, he didn't even know what was in his bank accounts. Didn't need to know. Didn't need, he didn't need to check up on Joseph because Joseph was not stealing anything. He could just come in and say, what's to eat? And he could just go down to the local restaurant, hang out with people, talk with people, have fun, go over to the golf, golf place, play a couple of holes of golf if you wanted to, go down to the bowling alley, roll some things if you wanted to. He didn't have to do any business because Joseph did it all. This is great. What an arrangement. That was the best investment he made, wasn't it? But for Joseph... This is not what he is called to do, is it? He made his father's house prosper. He's now making Potiphar's house prosper. But this is not what he's called to do. So this is not calling. It is it's practice. He's just practicing. Verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Well, she's becoming more attractive to Potiphar, or to, to Joseph, probably because Potiphar's getting lazy. He's letting Joseph take care of it all. She's seen Joseph is the industrious one. Joseph is the one going out there and making all the money. Husband's just kind of laying around, maybe even getting fat. <laughs> I don't know if that's what happened, but it said that Joseph was a good-looking guy. He's active. He's busy. And, uh, and she began to look at him more than her husband. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is, in, what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. He knows. I've got it all. There is no one greater in this house than I. Can you imagine saying that? Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. So he says, I got it all, but I don't got you. <laughs> he has not given me that. You are his, and I'm not stepping in on that, uh, that territory there. So it was as, he, as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. What's, this is not a one-day thing. This is the constant thing. The wife kept coming, trying to tempt him, trying to pull him into this thing. Now, Joseph, as far as we know, right now, he doesn't have a girlfriend. He's a slave. I don't know that they were allowed to have girlfriends as, as slaves, but as far as we know, he, that's not something that he's got. He's just going around, just working all day, making someone else rich. Now, if you were Joseph, how many of you can get frustrated? I had a dream that I'd be a ruler. Here I am, a slave. In Potiphar's house, working hard, making him rich. And I don't have a whole lot. He probably has something, but he doesn't have a whole lot. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now he's resisting temptation. Because he knows that God says, Don't go taking somebody else's wife. Don't be doing it. And he, he knows that, so he, he knows that from the Word, so he's out there doing the Word. What's he doing? Doing the Word is practicing. He's practicing again. He's just continued to practice. Practice, 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 practice. If you keep practicing something often enough, you'll get good at it. He's, he's practicing the Word. He didn't just practice the Word here. This is just a story that we got. He practiced the Word other places. Whatever temptation came up to him, it seems like he, he resisted it and didn't go after it. But in this one, he saw he was caught. Can you imagine living in a house where you are the greatest man in the house? He has made you overseer of everything. And you have to be afraid. You have to always be watchful that you don't get caught in the wrong situation. 
This is not the first time this woman tried to get him in this kind of situation. But it's the first time she was successful. That Joseph, every day, has to be watching out. She's going to try and get me caught somewhere. I can't let her do it. But this time, he got him in the house, and there was no man. He's trying always to make sure. Guys, if you see me in the house, make sure. Don't leave me alone in there. But something happened, and he was. So it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened, I lifted up my voice and cried out, and he left his garment with me and fled outside. I want you to notice something that was repeated two times. Two times she said, You have brought this Hebrew into our house. Two times she says that. That means there was an attitude in the house that he was an outsider. And that he was brought in. If you are an outsider and you are brought in, you are a low man on the totem pole. If you work your way up, how many of you know there are some people who are not happy about you working your way up? He continually faced opposition on his way up. But the master still put the stuff under his hands. But he's got to work with the rest of the staff. And if they despise him, how many of you all know he's got his work cut out for them? It's going to be tough. He has to continually battle an embattled staff. Eventually, I'm sure some of them have come around to just realize that Joseph was just a great guy. But whatever it was, she called some of the men in and the men were afraid to go against her. And so they vouched for her. And so, you know, the husband comes in from playing 18 rounds of golf. <laughs> thinks everything is going good. And then the wife comes in with this story. And he's thinking, man, this gold mine I've got here, if, if I don't listen to her, then she's going to be mad at me and it's not going to be good in the house. And if I do listen to her, I have to get rid of Joseph and then I got to work again. But Joseph does it better than I do. So he's seeing his fortune probably going down. He's, he's probably not real happy about having to do this, but whatever it is, he, he decides to go ahead and put him in prison. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner. That his anger was aroused, and Joseph, uh, Joseph Master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Same pattern we saw with Potiphar. More than likely, Potiphar came in when he delivered him to the prison. He probably told him, this guy is so trustworthy. Whatever you put under his hands, he will take care of it well. I hate to get rid of him, but we had the situation that came up. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't uh, not have him. I have to get rid of him in the house. Don't want to, but I'll uh, tell you what. Use him all that you can because he's, he's good. If you're Joseph, you're thinking, I keep going down. The vision is for me to be a ruler. I'm now in prison. I've been a slave. I'm now in prison. I'm in a land who despises Hebrew people. How is this going to work? And it can get very easy for him to, to be frustrated, to be angry at all this. But he's got plenty of time to be contemplating the dream and what it, what it talked about. But all the time that he's in the prison, he may have started out bottom. Maybe he started out wherever it was he started out. He worked his way to the top. 
he became the most trusted. I mean, can you imagine giving the prisoner the keys? That's just amazing. But he was not called to run the prison, was he? But he did a good job with it. So this is not what his calling is. This is just practice. Practice. That's all it is. I'm going to jump over to chapter 40, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, the king of Egypt, offended their, their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard and prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, so they were in custody for a while. Don't know what a while was, but it's more than a day or two, probably. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with his own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Now, who's got it worse? I mean, Joseph been sold into slavery, away from his homeland. His brothers are the ones that sold him into the slavery. Then he gets falsely accused from a pretty decent gig as far as slaves go, and then gets put into prison. Now he's in charge of the whole prison, and these guys look sad. You could just say, guys, you don't know how, you don't know what a rough life is. Let me tell you what a rough life is. He doesn't do that. He says, how come you're sad today? He's actually concerned with these people. They said to him, we have each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, uh, tell them to me, please. So Joseph, at this time, we're not told about a whole lot of interaction with him in dreams outside the ones that he got and this one here. But if you're going to step into a situation and hear that someone had a dream and say, hey, tell it to me. God's the interpreter, interpretation of dreams. He'll give it to me. If you're that bold to do that, how many of you know you've had to be working with some dreams? This is not his first rodeo. This is not the first time people have come to him with dreams. They're not in the Word of God. When we get to heaven, we'll find out that there was other places that he was doing this. He was out there practicing. He was out there interpreting other people's dreams. He was working with dreams because when they tell him the dream... He knows the interpretation right off the bat. He doesn't have to go pray about it. He doesn't have to go think about it. He doesn't have to go contemplate and, and break out all the books about what represents what in the dream. And, and so he just, tell me the dream. So he says, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me the dream. So the one tells him the dream. You know, I had a dream. It was this way. And we're not going to get into all the dream. We're, we're trying to get through a whole lot of territory here in a little bit of time. Just to give you the overview of this. So he tells him the dream. and says, oh, that means that um, he, you're going to be replaced into your position. That Pharaoh's going to forgive you and reinstate you in your position. And you're going to go on and continue to be serving the king. And the other one got excited and said, oh, he got a good interpretation. I can't wait for him to tell me mine. And so he tells him his dream. And he says, oh, this is bad. <laughs> this is bad. And, and what your dream means is that the king is going to come and he's going to kill you. And you'll be dead. And he didn't like that a whole lot, but as it went, the, the king came to him and he restored the one and he killed the other. Didn't even leave him in prison, he killed him. It's over. And so and the, after he gets done telling the interpretations to the guys, he says, look, I'm not supposed to be in this place. I haven't done anything wrong. He gave them the whole story, what's going on. When you get to the king, because I know you're going to the king because I interpreted your dream and I have confidence in what I interpreted the dream as. So when you get to the king, will you remember him to me? I remember uh, uh, me to him and, and tell him about my plight. And the guy says, oh, sure, sure I will. He didn't. He didn't. You ever had it that people promised you they'd do something and they didn't do it? Yeah, happened to Joseph too. 
But when he's interpreting the dream here in this, in this prison, is Joseph called to interpret the dream of the baker and the cupbearer? No, he's not. This is practice. Practice. I put this in your outline for you. More time is spent preparing than is spent doing what you were prepared for. Go through the Word of God and find out. More time is spent preparing than is spent doing what you were prepared for. How long was Jesus in ministry? Three and a half years. We look at the important days of his life. We'll cut that down quite a bit. How long did he prepare? 30 years. 30 years he prepared. How long did Moses prepare to be the deliverer of Israel? Well, 40 years until he answered the call. Another 40 years he was on the backside of the wilderness. 80 years old. And he finally steps up and answers the call. How long did David prepare? David prepared a long time, didn't he? There are people who prepared a long time. And their actual time in service was a lot shorter. All right, let's get to the, to the opportunity here. This is the beginning of what he was called to. I remember something Brother Hagin used to tell us when uh, he was out traveling on the road in ministry. He had pastored a number of churches, I think 12 years he spent pastoring. And he was out there on the road. And when he's out there on the road, the, the word of the Lord came to him and said, now you're ready to enter into the first phase of your ministry. And he almost fell off his chair. He said, what do you mean the first phase? I've been pastoring a church for 12 years. He said, many ministers live and die and never enter into the first phase of their ministry. That's something else. That means, folks, we can live and die and never enter into the first phase of what God called us to do. Because we didn't prepare right. And it came to pass at the end of two full years. Two full years. Now, I'm going to jump ahead on you here just a little bit. When all this happens and Joseph is pulled into Pharaoh's presence, he is 30 years old. When all this began, he was 17. That's 13 years of preparation from the time he got the vision, the, the dream, thrown into the uh, slavery, thrown into prison. That's 11 years has gone by so far. Two more years he's going to serve in prison. Can you imagine having an opportunity to ha- have somebody at, the, at Pharaoh, serving Pharaoh, and he can speak to him for you, and two years later you're still in the prison? Could you get discouraged at that? Could you quit preparing? You could quit preparing, couldn't you? You know how you quit preparing? Stop training. I don't know if you've ever done any workout and stuff like that, but if you've ever done any uh, weights, lifting, um, physical exercise, swimming, whatever kind of thing that you got into, how long does it take to build up to be able to do something in that field? My wife was a dancer. I'm sure she'll be able to tell you how long it took to, to be able to do the 8, 10, 12 hours of dance they did in the day. All the different things that they did. It, it takes endurance to be able to do all those different things. It, it's not something you come to right away. But if you, uh, if you quit doing all that stuff, doing all the exercises, doing all the training, doing all the preparation to, to keep yourself ready, how long does it take for it to go away? It does not take long, does it? It seems like it goes away a whole lot faster than it gets there. That's a shame. But that just seems to be the way that it is. It goes away faster than it, uh, than it comes to you. You've got to work months and months and months. And then, you know, you're, you're off for a, a couple of weeks and it seems like half of it's already gone. But he didn't stop preparing. He kept going. 
He kept probably other interpretations he gave, probably other dreams that he worked with, probably other temptations that he resisted. He just kept managing the prison. He just kept getting better. He's still honing his skills at managing things. He's honing his skills to doing it. Then he's going to be called up to, to do something great. I've told you before, you know, when we get ever, ever get into the presidential election cycle, my qualifications for president are pretty, pretty simple. First off, I want to make sure that their views line up with the, what I know the Word of God to, as much as I can. Not always do we have presidents who run who line up with views of the Word of God. Uh, I want to make sure that they line up with views of what I think needs to go on as, as far as uh, economy. I want to make sure that they honor our Constitution. But I told you that one of my biggest qualifications for president is they need to have run something big. If you don't run something big, how can you run the United States and the interaction that you have with the world? The current president we have, you know my opposition to him. You know I didn't vote for him either time. I wouldn't vote for him if he was able to run the third time either for a lot of reasons. And I've, get, I've listed my reasons many, many times. Uh, going over them. But one of the things I, I saw, he didn't, he never ran anything big. You cannot run the country and be trained for it and not run anything big. That's not my qualification. That comes directly from the Word of God. If we elect anyone who has not run anything big, we go against the principles of the Word of God. Here's Joseph. God is training him to run something big. How? By getting him to run his father's business and then getting him to run a very large house, and then getting him to run a prison. In each stage, each stage, I want you to see this, in his father's house, in the Potiphar's house, and in the prison, in each stage, he had people envious of who he was, and what he was, and what he had, and who opposed him along the way. In each stage, how many of you would think that would discourage you? And yet it was important. We'll see why. It was important for him to, to do that. But he ran big things. Now think about this. Here's God's qualifications. When Jesus gives us the parable in the, in the uh, New Testament, what qualifies you to run ten cities in the New Kingdom? What qualifies you to only run one city? And what qualifies you to run no cities? It's in the Word of God. Remember the parable of the talents? You have been faithful over little. I will make you faithful over much. Because uh, the one took one talent, made ten. Another one took one talent, made five. Another took one talent and buried it. One who made one is going to be over what? Ten cities. Why? Because he showed, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a ten-talent person. I can take one talent and produce it into ten. The other one produced five. So what was he given? Five cities. Why wasn't he given ten? Because he showed himself in this one that he could handle five. And God gave him what he could handle. The one who took the one and buried it, what did he do? He wasn't given anything. Uh, God's view, if you don't run anything big, you can't run anything for me. Because God does stuff on a big scale. He does stuff on a big scale. You know, I got it. We got a. You've been over to the church or uh, our house. You know, we have a, a, a reef tank in our house, and people look at that reef tank and think, "Man, that's a big tank." No, it's not. That puny little tank is ninety gallons. You want to talk about a big tank? How about Atlantic Ocean? God makes big stuff. 
You know, he, he divides his tanks up. I got the Pacific Ocean. I got the Atlantic Ocean. He, he makes big stuff. It's big. You've got to be ready to handle it. You're being prepared down here to handle what you're going to handle up there. How faithful you are, what your ability, what your level is down here, is what you're going to handle up there. Shouldn't we hold the same for the people who are going to run things for us? If God doesn't. Anyway, that's just a side note from all this. Where do we leave off at? Verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years, Pharaoh had a dream. And he behold, he, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly, gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly, gaunt cows ate up the seven fine looking cows. So Pharaoh awoke. Now cows don't eat cows. Right? What do cows eat? They eat vegetation. They eat grass. They eat stuff. They don't eat cows. So if you had a dream and a cow ate another cow, that's, that's, that's disturbing. So Pharaoh woke. He slept and dreamed a second time and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Behold, seven head, thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. Well, Grain doesn't eat grain, but it does in the dream. So Pharaoh knows, this is disturbing. This is trying to tell me something. I wonder what it's trying to tell me. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret the dream. They're all thinking, cows don't eat cows. Grain doesn't eat grain. I don't know what this is talking about. And the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day when he doesn't want to. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing that's keeping him from, from bringing this up. He's uh, the butler saying, you know, I don't, I could, I'd like to help Joseph out, but I don't want to remind him that he was mad at me because he may throw me back in prison. But he says, I remember my faults this day because right now we have an opportunity. Pharaoh wants an interpretation. I know somebody who can do this. So even if he gets mad at me again, he'll be happy because I brought somebody along. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I, and each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of, a, of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, servant of the captain of the guard. We told him and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he had interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office and he hanged him. And Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon and he shaved, changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. Well, you don't shave, I guess, in the, in the prison. So they had to make him look presentable. So they, they spent some time getting him to look ready. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So he's saying the same thing. Interpretations belong to God. But I'll hear him. Go ahead and tell me the dream. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. Because we skipped over this. We're going to be in verse 25 here. We didn't need to read them all again. So Joseph hears the dreams. He says, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. How many dreams does Pharaoh have? Two. It's important to keep note of that. Pharaoh had two dreams. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up, they are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete the land. So plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and will shortly shortly bring it to pass. Now, picture Joseph. You are called before Pharaoh to answer a dream that no one else in the kingdom has been able to answer. Do you feel pressure? You would feel pressure, wouldn't you? The only thing that can help you here is if you have practiced. You know, we hear stories of Nikolai when he's before the, the, the folks over there in the, the school. They want to, it went right out of my head. I know it, uh, uh, Juilliard. I, I, I knew it. Sometimes you just get out and can't think of it. And, you know, you have to do an audition. And he, he tells us about the audition and things that he would do there. And it's, how many of y'all know that's pressure? We saw the, the one movie and they had somebody doing an audition at, at Juilliard. And you saw the pressure that they were under. What helps you with the pressure? Practice. It's not your first time doing it. You practice. You get yourself ready. Joseph has been practicing with dreams for a lot of years. Not just the ones we saw. A lot of years. He's been practicing. He's been getting ready. And now he is called before Pharaoh. He does not say, Pharaoh, give me a day. What's he say? I got you. It's a piece of cake. And Pharaoh's thinking, how come the guys I have in my staff, the guys I train, the guys I work with, the guys that are with, how come they couldn't figure out? I called this guy out of the prison. He's got it right away. How many of you know that makes an impression? He's got to make an impression on, on, uh, on Pharaoh here. So we did that. Now that's the first thing he's practiced at. What else has Joseph been practicing for all these years? Management. He's been practicing management. He practiced it in his father's house. He practiced it in Potiphar's house. He practiced it in the prison. It's second nature to him. Management comes easy. So he gets the interpretation. The dream does not say what to do about it. He interprets the dream. That's the first thing he was practiced for. Now we get the second part. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. He says, first off, you need to have one person in charge of this thing. And set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. He's already got it broken down into percentages. How do you do that? You just got the interpret. You just heard the dream. You got the interpretation of the dream. And bam, you got percentages. One-fifth. 20%. Take 20%. Take all the abundance and take 20% of that out. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then the, that food shall be a reserve for the land, for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. Is that not, does not amaze you? He hears the dream and immediately, bang, practice, interpretation, practice, management. Here's what you do. Store up 20% for these first seven years. 
and that will carry you through the other seven years. How does he know that 20% in the abundance years will carry him through the lean years? Practice. He's been involved with this stuff. God has, can you see this? God has made him ready. 13 years of intense training, 30 years of his whole life, has made him ready so that when this day he is called on, he is ready to rise up to both challenges. Management and interpretation. And he rattles them off like it's second nature. Is that not amazing? But if we were Joseph, how many of us would be discouraged and wouldn't have practiced? Wouldn't have kept the thing going on with the interpretation? Wouldn't have kept the thing going on with the management? Just said, you know what? I'm tired of managing everybody else's stuff. Tired of it. I'm going to sit over here in the corner. I'm going to hide. Just leave me alone. I'm going to do my own thing. Y'all take care of yourselves. He could, couldn't you do that? Aren't there prisoners in there that probably did that? But Joseph didn't. He rose to the top. He stayed busy. Why? He's practicing. There's a reason for it. Verse 37. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. He just met him. And yet the wisdom that comes out of Joseph's mouth, because he is so practiced with this, impresses Pharaoh and he says, I can't find anybody this good. Man, and you're a Hebrew. We don't like Hebrews. But man, you are good. Wow. You shall be over my house. Man, he's heard that before. He's over dad's house. I was over Potiphar's house. I'm over the prison now. I'm over Pharaoh's house. You shall be over my house. And all my people shall be ruled according to your word. What happened in Potiphar's house? Whatever Joseph said happened. What happened in the prison? Whatever Joseph said happened. What's happening here in Egypt? Whatever Joseph says happens. Can you see how God got him ready? He's used to this. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had and they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he, so he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without you, your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name and I'm not real good with Egyptian names here but Zephanath Paneah. And he gave him his wife Asana, and daughter of Patifera, priest of On. So Joseph went, on, went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. If you are Joseph, you have been belittled by your brothers. You have been sold by your brothers into slavery. You have been a slave. You've been called all kinds of things as a slave. You went from there to the prison, been called all kinds of things in the prison. You have faced opposition in each of these places that you were at, yet you rose to the top. And then the king of the land, Pharaoh, says, I am going to pull you out of that and I am going to elevate you to second in charge of the entire land. Get you, put yourself in this picture. How many of you would begin to think, I am not worthy of this? 
I can't do this. I, this, this shouldn't happen to me. Just give me my freedom. I'm happy. Let me go home, see my dad. That's all I really want. But God sowed into Joseph a dream. And in that dream, he saw he was a ruler. And for 13 years, he's been stewing on that dream. I am a ruler. 13 years going over this dream. I am a ruler. I want you to notice what was missing in the scriptures when he gave the dream. In all the other dreams that Joseph gives, he gives the interpretation. He never gave the interpretation of his own dream. He only gave the dream. But yet, in these two situations we saw, he got the interpretation right away. Which means he's gotten good at it. How many of y'all know he's gotten the interpretation of his dream by now? And he's meditated on that interpretation. And meditated on it. And meditated on it. And he sees himself as a ruler. And when Pharaoh says, I want you to be ruler, he says, okay. How important is it for Joseph to accept this position? Would Egypt help the Hebrew people out on their own? Uh -uh. But you put Joseph, who's one of the sons, in the position to save the whole land. And if he wants to save his people, go ahead. Joseph, we would all be dead if it weren't for you. You want to bring your family over here and save them? Come on, bring them on over. We're okay with that. If Joseph did not accept his position, when the famine came, which was not ordained by God, not sent by God, God does not send famines. The enemy does for the purpose of wiping out Israel while they were young. And God said, I got a way around this. I'm going to send my man and he's going to be in Egypt and he's going to take the abundance that comes and he is going to carve out a niche and we are going to protect the people of Israel from what Satan wants to do. And they never felt a bit of the famine. Joseph was 30. Where did we leave off at? I don't know, we don't need to, to jump on. 46? So we're at 47? Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt. He laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. And Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was in immeasurable. Here's what he did. He put a 20% tax on the land. And the people paid the tax so that Joseph collected it. The people could see the abundance of the grain, the abundance of the what all it was that they stored up. They could see the abundance because it became so abundant they couldn't even count it. The people could see the abundance. If you saw that your government had an abundance of something and kept coming after you for taxes, what would you do? Man, you got more than you need. Why are you keep coming after me? You got more than you need. This is my great. Why are you taking 20%? I'm the one who worked it. So Joseph, for seven years, now probably the first year they were okay with it. But second year, third year, fourth year, fourth, by the fifth year, come on, they're tired of this thing. Why are you still taking 20% of our stuff? You got more. You can't even count what you got. Why do you want more? Joseph is greedy. He's one of those Hebrew people. He's just greedy. He's just trying to take off. He had opposition for, for five, six years of the seven years at least. He had opposition to his management style. And what did he have in his father's house? Opposition to his management style. 
What did he have in Potiphar's house? Opposition to his management. What did he have in the prison? Opposition to management. What would frustrate most of us was preparing him to do what needed to be done so that in the seven years of famine, they had enough to get through. But you've got to have someone who is well-versed and well-practiced at taking this abuse and still managing and doing what he knows to do. And Joseph did it. Put in your outline, Joseph has to see himself as a ruler if you didn't get that one. And he did, and he became a ruler. God didn't just prepare him to interpret, he also prepared him to rule. Now, let's get back to the two dreams. We're not going to get into chapters 42 through 47, but this is the area that we're going to cover here. And if you want to, when you're home this afternoon, go ahead and read those chapters. You will have a good time reading it in light of all the things that you've seen so far. How many dreams did Joseph have? Two dreams. How many dreams did Pharaoh have? What was the meaning of Pharaoh's dream? One. You think there's a relationship there? Immediately out of Joseph's mouth is, your dreams are two, but the meaning is one. Why does he jump to that right off the bat? Now see, we look at the two dreams that Joseph have, and we see differences in them. But Joseph had come to the place where he saw the similarity. We keep looking at the dreams that Joseph had as how people were bowing down to Joseph, as did Joseph when he first, when he first heard the dream, as did his brothers and as did his mother and father. But the dream was not about the people bowing down to him. But Joseph didn't realize that right off the bat. Now remember, God called him by this dream. Has he seen this dream realized? No. Have his brothers come and bow down? Has his mother and father come and bow down? Then the dream that God gave him is unfulfilled. He is a ruler. But the dream is not fulfilled. So what's Joseph doing? If he, if he hasn't figured it out by now, he's still contemplating the dream. But I think he's already figured it out. I think by now he's already figured out what is coming next. And he's got himself ready for what comes next. Here's the thing, folks. We have looked at this dream as his brothers and his mother and father relating to him. It has nothing to do with that at all. Both dreams are the same. And it's about how he relates to them. What God is telling Joseph way back 13 years before this, before he was ever sold into slavery, before anything ever transpired between him and his brothers, is you are going to be a ruler. And in that position of rulership will come a day when your brothers will come to your throne and bow down to you. And the whole thing was this. What are you going to do when they come? All of what God has done is not about saving Egypt. It's about saving Israel. And Israel, the brothers of Israel, have put a stumbling block in the life of Joseph. And God says, you need to get yourself ready because the day is coming when they will come before you. And I need you to protect them. They didn't protect you. But I need you to protect them.
And so the whole time, whenever he got this interpretation, the whole time he's in Potiphar's house, he is thinking about this. I am going to be in a position of rulership and my brothers will be bowing down at my mercy. What will I do? The whole time he's in prison, he's thinking about this dream. I'm going to be in a place of rulership. My brothers are going to come and bow down. The ones who put me in this place. What will I do? And when his brothers come, and in chapters 42 through 47, his brothers come. And you can read this over. It's a long section. Because you know why? Because Joseph pondered, sought after God, and said, What shall I do when my brothers come and bow down to me? And he got God's view on what he was to do. What Joseph carried out was not what Joseph wanted to do. What Joseph carried out is what God wanted to do. And God says, I don't want you to just restore them. I want you to put them in a place where they can do the very same thing and conquer it and win out over it and not subject themselves to the same thing. I want you to show them that they have become better than they were 13 years ago. And so he gave them that opportunity. Because only ten of the brothers came and he knew they left one at home. Who did they leave? They left Benjamin. Why did they leave Benjamin? Because dad loves Benjamin. He's the only one he's got from Rachel. So what I got to do is I got to get them to bring Benjamin over here. And when I get Benjamin over here, I got to put Benjamin in, in danger. And when Benjamin is in danger, I need to see how, uh, they need to see how they will respond to it. And when he put Benjamin in danger, it looked like Benjamin was going to be put in prison, possibly even killed. They all rose up and says, no, take me. Take me. Put me to death. Don't, don't, don't take it out on him. Uh, take it out on me. I'll die for him. How many times in the story does Joseph go away and weep? Because it's not what Joseph wants to do. Joseph wants to just, hey guys, it's me. Come on, let's go. We're going to have fun. But God says, Joseph, I'm giving you this dream because I need you to be ready to do what I need you to do when it's time. And Joseph was ready. And he never told the interpretation of the dream that he had. But he had two dreams. And there was one meaning. What will you do when you are in charge and your brothers come and bow before you? What will you do? Now, there are several meetings there were several of the brothers came before Joseph. And then at the end, one where his parents came. And so this thing was fulfilled in that way. And at first the brothers just came about. And then the brothers and the parents came about. But in the first dream, how many of the brothers came and bowed down to Joseph? The number was given. It was 11. The first time the brothers came before Joseph, how many brothers bowed down before him? Ten. Ten. What does Joseph know? This isn't how it's supposed to happen. It's only ten. We have to get the other brother up here. All eleven brothers need to be here. So we had to come up with a way to get the other brother in. And the story 42 through 47 is fascinating if you understand it in light of that vision and what he was trying to do. It's fascinating. Go back through and read it. We don't have time to, to get through it all today. But Joseph was being made ready 
for a couple of days. First off, to accept the position that Pharaoh would offer him because he was practiced and gave the interpretation and he gave the management of what was to be done. He was practiced. He gave that up, gave that, jumped right in and did it. He then went on and he managed. We don't really have all the things that went on, but he managed for the seven years. He's seen the relationship. He's seen the vision come in. In seven years, he's waiting. No brothers have come in. He knows. He knows why they're going to come. And it isn't until the famine gets real severe that they finally come. Now, Joseph had time to get ready for both of these encounters. And he got ready real well. Here's the end result for this thing. This is a problem that we all face and we all fall into. Stop looking for your life to matter. Stop looking for your life to matter and look for life to prepare you to matter. It's a difference. Your life is merely getting you ready for what God has called you to. And for the most part, that's one, two, three, four days for you to stand up and be accounted. It's a whole lot of days of preparation. That movie on the miracle on ice. A whole lot of preparation went in for those guys to play hockey. It all came down to that one day. And they played and they won. We still think back and remember that. Now a day is coming. In your life, folks, a day is coming. Maybe for some, it's already come. Doesn't mean another one won't come. We'll look at some people in the Word who missed a day but got another chance. But a day is coming. And what you are going through in life right now is preparing you for that day. Here's the question. Will you be ready? Will you stay with doing what you know to do? Will you continue to practice? Will you continue to train? When you have nothing, it seems, in front of you. We get together with, uh, with guys every Tuesday night and we go running together. And for the longest time when we would get together and we would run, there's uh, one group of us that's up towards the front, there's another group that are in the middle, and there's another group that carry around the back. But of the group that's up in the front and coming through, they have one thing generally in common. They have a race they're going to run. They have something they're going to do to test their ability. Of all those guys that get in there, I am the odd duck. And they used to ask me a lot of times, what race are you preparing for? Preparing for a marathon? Preparing for a half marathon? Preparing for a 5K, 10K? What are you preparing for? And I would tell them, I have no race. I just love to train. I love to train. I work out each week as if, I never really realized that before, but I work out each week as if I'm getting ready for a race. But I have no race in the, for, in the future that I know of, no race that I've set up. I've learned to just fall in love with training. did that years ago, many, many years ago. I've got to transfer that over too in the things of God. I've got to fall in love with training for Him. Fall in love to be trained. Be willing to be trained. Now Joseph, from a lot of people in the Bible, his training was one of the shorter times. It was, it was definitely one of the shorter times. There's a lot of training went on before the 13 years started 
There was other training that had gone on before. But if you even look at his whole life, he was training for 30 years. There's other people who trained longer than that. It does not matter how old you are. What matters is you are still here. If you are still here, God is training you up for something. Will you continue to train? Will you get frustrated? Will you quit? Or will you continue to train? Your training day is coming. Your training day is coming. Will you be like Joseph and respond to it like it was any other day? And find out it was a pivotal day and your entire life changed. Will you be ready? A whole lot of Christians, folks, never get themselves ready. Never face the challenges of a training day. Joseph had no idea it was coming. No idea when it would happen. All he knew was, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was a ruler. And in that dream, there was no picture of Egypt bowing down to worship him. There was no picture of food, barns, grain. All that was in the picture was his brothers coming and bowing down. Because the ultimate training day for him was when his brothers came to ask for help that they would not die. And Joseph even says, we put it in your, in your bulletin cover. I was sent ahead to be prepared. Can I, can I have the... I've got, I got it from a different translation and I wanted to get the... God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive in an amazing way. An amazing way. That's what God did. All of Joseph's life, all that time in prison, all that time in Potiphar's house, all that time with abuse from the brothers, God says, Joseph, I need you to take this. I need you to be in this position. And Joseph said, I can take it. And he did. It is amazing to me how you stay ready for 13 years of discouragement. People letting you down. But he stayed with it. And he stayed trained. And when the day came, he didn't say, you know what, I've been out of practice for this little while. I kind of gave up on that dream thing. So just, I'll get right back into it. Just give me a week. I'll, I'll be right there. That wasn't it. That wasn't it. He was ready then. And not only that, he went beyond the interpretation and used his management skills that God had given him it says, and this is what you need to do for the rest of it. This is how you handle it. You do this and you'll be fine. And it's so matter of fact. It's so easy. Because he was trained. Justin, up. What is God training you for? Do you know? Some people in the Word of God knew. Some people weren't exactly sure. But God is training you for something. He's getting you ready because there is going to be a day and you are going to be in a position that you can do something for him, that you can stand up for him, that you can accomplish what he needs you to accomplish. And it's all kind of going down on you. And he's saying, I depend on you. I'm going to put you in a place and I'm going to depend on you. Now, just in the light of the other things we looked at, will God do that? 
if you can't answer the call on the lesser things? No. No. You've got to show him that you can handle the little things. So when the day comes and he says, I got, you've handled little things. I got a big thing for you. I need to put you in place. But you're ready, right? You say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. I'll tell you what, I have so much fun contemplating these things and thinking about different stories in the Word of God that are along these lines. But today we do the communion service. And boy, does this point to the ultimate training day? The ultimate day that someone was trained for. Jesus was born on this earth of a virgin, raised in life, set himself apart from sin, refused all temptation every day of his life, walked in this life for 30 years as a carpenter, as a son of Joseph and Mary, became anointed by the Holy Spirit and stepped into the place of ministry for three and a half years, all for the biggest training day the world would ever know. And he went to the garden and prayed to get himself fully trained, get some extra push-ups, sit-ups, get himself ready. And when he was ready, he came out of the garden and he could call 10,000 angels and they would come. But that would ruin the plan. And he didn't call them. But if he did, he said they'd come. But he didn't call them. He said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. No one could kill him. But he allowed himself to die. What a training day. Spend three days in the heart of the earth for our sin. He was prepared. He was trained for this one day. The biggest day of all of them. We look at the miracles. We look at the things that Jesus did and we think, wow. But folks, this is the big day. This was it. Everything else would have been meaningless if this day didn't come. If his life did not come the fulfillment of the cross. Thank God. He was ready. He was trained. He was prepared. And he didn't have to say, you know what, I need, to, I need another week to get ready. When they came, he was ready. We're going to see this in the Word of God that there are some days the training days come and there is no option. It's either today or it never happens as we remember together the work that he did on the cross. Let us remember what he did on the cross got us ready for what is ahead. His work in the past has prepared us for the future. On the day that he was betrayed, on the day that he was turned over to the leaders of the Jews, he set up the dinner in the house in the upper room he said, this represents the new covenant. And he broke the bread and he says, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Upon him was put of all, all sickness and disease on his body. As we eat together, let's remember the work he did to heal our body. 
After supper, he took the cup and he said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant, blood just covered over sins. This one washes them away. You need to do nothing else, add anything to what he's already done. Just receive the work that he did. As we drink together, let's remember the work that he did for us. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the work that you did on the cross through Jesus. The greatest of all the training days that we see in the Word of God. And Father, we want to be ready for those days that you have trained us up for. For the day will come and you will say, I need you. Everything else is just practice. This is what I need you for. We want to be ready. Thank you, Father, that you are preparing us and getting us there. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We have some praise reports. Amen. Do I have everybody's praise reports? See that the angels were on <laughs> on call this weekend. Um, Susan said, "Mom and I are thanking the Lord. No one was hurt in the accident. New Year's Eve." Um, in the afternoon there. She says, I'm believing God to turn around what the enemy meant for evil for her good. Amen. I thank God that nobody was hurting that at all. Um, Ray says, I was under the knowledge that I still had an outstanding medical bill of $200, but had not received a bill. So I called the hospital, and they did not have anything on record for them or for anybody in the family. Amen. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. Amen. <laughs> um, Phyllis says, my mom has fully recovered from allergic reaction to her heart medication that could and should have been fatal. She says she's fully healed mm. from that, so praise the Lord. And this was um, Ento. She's thanking, her God, thanking God that her sister has finally arrived from Cameroon. Welcome. <laughs> um, she's been a wonderful sister, friend, and mother, and I'm truly blessed to have her as my sister. Welcome to the U.S. So the Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord, your God, is giving you. Amen. Anybody else have anything? <laughs>